Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Awareness Project. Today, we are going to talk about policing in the United States. Most of you have probably noticed in the last few weeks and months, there's a lot of protesting that's going out in your neighborhoods and communities all around the country, along with big cities. After the brutal murder of George Floyd, a 46-year-old man in Minneapolis, Minnesota, by Minneapolis Police Department. This has been an ongoing theme for the last few years, and probably even longer where a lot of people of minorities and color are being brutally murdered by police officers all throughout the country. Just to give you a few more examples, in 2020, another lady, Brianna Taylor, she was 26 years old, was shot in her house while she was sleeping. This was in Louisville, Kentucky. In 2019, another lady, Atitiana Jefferson, was shot in Miami, Florida, through a front window in front of her eight-year-old nephew. In 2014, another lady, Aura Roser, 40 years old, from Ann Arbor, Michigan, was tased first and then shot in her house once her boyfriend called cops on her. In 2018, a young man, a 22-year-old young man, Stephen Clark, in Sacramento, California, his only issue was that he was standing in his grandmother's backyard holding a cell phone and cops thought that he had a weapon on him. He was shot more than 20 times. A 22-year-old kid holding a cell phone in his grandmother's backyard was shot more than 20 times. Young man, Botham Jean, sitting in his apartment, having ice cream on his couch. An off-duty officer comes into his apartment thinking it was her own, thinks he's a perpetrator in her apartment, and shoots him on sight. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a policing problem in the United States. There's a lot of talk recently amongst communities to kind of curb some of these issues that we are seeing today. Please welcome my co-host Kunal. So Kunal, do you have anything that you want to add to that? Hey, uh, good afternoon everyone. Uh, welcome to the episode as well. Yes, I, I do. I mean, these are really good examples. Uh, we certainly have a problem in the United States. And um, also some of the stats I've been looking, Kunal, has been around, um, you know, over 6,000 people were killed last year. Uh, through police, uh, and some of that might have been highly justified, but it still does not negate the fact that we have the highest amount of police killings of any country in the world. In fact, we have more than uh, other 10 countries combined. We have police has killed more people in the United States in the last year than the next 10 countries combined. So we certainly have a big policing problem, and uh, we'll talk about what are some of the root causes of the problems and then also try to leave our listeners with some ideas on what we think are good, sensible solutions um, as we move forward, how to fix um, and reform the police in, um, in the United States. Well, thank you for that. So just kind of delving into some of these problems that we are seeing right now, right? I mean, it seems that over time, especially in the last 20, 25 years, police have definitely gotten a lot stronger not only specifically with terms, in terms of police unions, but also in the way that they've been armed. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think at the turn of the century, or even when actually Bill Clinton was president, falling in the footsteps of Ronald Reagan and uh, George Bush Sr., there was a big crackdown on, in, in inner cities on drugs, per se. And because of that, it seems that you know, police departments were uh, strengthened a lot more not only with personnel, but also with a lot of cash flow money, and they were sort of militarized. And that militarizing team has lasted to this day, and they keep getting stronger and stronger every single year. 
Yeah. Yeah. So b- before making those broader statements, let's look at the history. You talked about militarization of the police. And yeah. There are a lot of contributing factors to it. I remember reading about. You know, in New York City, they had this whole broken windows program, right? Effectively, what it meant is, you know, if you let the small crimes go, it will lead to bigger and bigger crimes. So there was a major crackdown, and it impacted, um, you know, certainly community minority communities disproportionately because those petty crimes used to happen a lot more in minority community areas and uh, by minorities. Uh, and along with that, there was also this whole stop and frisk leading to more and more anxiety among the minority communities right so i think that's probably one of the areas the militarization part doesn't stop there right and this is not a republican or a democrat issue i remember even during the obama time they were transferring military weapons over to the police departments calling it surplus weapons and pretty much transferring it over for free and does domestic police really need those military grade weapons in the country and i think those are some of the key problems as we talk through this and what are your thoughts on that kanal no i think that makes a lot of sense right because you look internationally i mean i don't think the drug problem is unique to the united states i don't think petty crime is a unique problem to the united states i don't think a lot of other issues that police departments and politicians try to publicize are unique to this country what is unique to this country is that a we are armed to the teeth with guns everywhere we go and more importantly i think that we have inherently adapted to or accepted violence as a part of our daily lives and to battle violence you sort of push more violence against it right and when you think about it it it's just a game that just keeps stacking up it's like jenga right you just keep stacking block on block on block until a point that it reaches where it's too unstable and it's just going to fall back down and yeah, that's what i'm afraid of is you know our society is getting to that that tipping point where i think people generally are just fed up of all this violence and the violent culture that we are inheriting and just wants to live a more peaceful and satisfying existence right yep yep so let's maybe pull out some of the blocks from our jenga tower and see how we can unpack some of these things right right uh, so we talked about militarization of police and i think we have a broader agreement that you know this is not something you see in a in the broader world this is a problem that is very unique to america in many ways right right uh, and also the rate of incarceration i mean you know you look at any other country in the world the number of people per capita that we have in jails is disproportionately higher than any other country in the world see even right. for petty crimes uh, you know uh, somebody carrying a small amount of drug with them uh, are put in jails right? and is that also breach in cycle of violence um, as you know you get both broken more broken families uh, more dysfunctional society that probably contributes to it as well right? but i think also what we need to address is that the disproportionate amount of minorities are subject to this incarceration than people who are generally white yeah, absolutely so, i mean you know if you look at even just the basic drug problems right mm-hmm. uh, the drugs that generally are used by and for lack of better term the white population compared to black population the same toxicity of the drug will have a higher incarceration terms and rates for the black population than the white population right so very similar uh, 
in terms of its potency, in terms of its distribution. But the blacks generally get more disproportionately affected by those things than, than the more affluent or white neighborhoods. Right. And to go down that same path, we touched briefly on this on our last episode, Black Lives Matter, where we talked about, you know, how lobbyists and, and people in power, as well as, you know, very influential folks who are in the, in the private space, are moving towards privatization of prisons because they see a lot of potential of making a lot of money through this, right? Because of the supply chain and not only of prisoners, but everything that, that goes into making and running a, a prison successfully. The culture inherently that we have, I hate to sort of beat a dead horse, but it is inherent sort of crony capitalism that has got us to this point where people who, who don't have a voice or are just sort of treated as a statistic or numbers, you know, are put into these situations very regularly to the point that they have started rebelling a lot more in 2020 than they did before. Because I think, honestly, everybody is tired of this. So how do we as a country approach this problem? I mean, this is so inherent and there are so many people involved in this. How do we convince a nation that this is wrong and we should move away from it and allow people to live their life? Yeah, so you you brought up a very good point, right? Like, you know, so I remember four years ago, even two years ago, you know, anybody saying BLM or Black Lives Matter was considered somebody radical, right? It's like, oh, all lives matter. Uh, the, the majority voice around that was not as pro saying BLM as, you know, also like Blue Lives Matter and All Lives Matter. But there has been a recognition, uh, in, and this shows up in multiple polls, right, that the population is also moving in the direction um, in terms of having this fundamental agreement that, yes, the Black Lives Matter movement is valid. Also, the fact that people taking a knee is not unpatriotic. Uh, I remember the president and a lot of people calling out a quarterback in terms of taking a knee. But as the opinions have changed now, NFL came out with an apology. A lot of other people are recognizing that taking a knee, it's not inherently unpatriotic. So public opinions are changing in this direction. And that's been a huge change from even just a couple of years ago when uh, the public opinion was not in the same direction as... as yeah, it. but do you think it's a little bit too late? I mean, NASCAR came out this year also, along with NFL and some of the other companies, as well as, uh, you know, establishments, right? But is is it just to woo a larger audience to to support what they're doing? And is it sort of a little too little too late? Because again, remember, in the NFL, there is only one non-white owner. Out of the 32 teams, there's only one non-white owner. I believe it's Jacksonville Jaguars, if I'm not mistaken. And when you talk about the the old white man club that pervades not only Washington, but a lot of big businesses and everything that is remotely even very successful and is controlled throughout the country, how do you pervade that institution and change minds there? Like the, the only thing that I can think of is through your wallet, right? But that also takes a very long time. And, you know, people's perceptions, the media, everything, if it is controlled by the old white man, how does that change over time where, you know, people can, are more comfortable uh, just being themselves in their own skin and not being subject to this kind of brutality every few days, right? Yeah, so I, I definitely feel a glass half full approach to this one. I, you know, yes, the changes are coming in late. Yes, they are smaller than we would want, but it's still happening. And that's a positive. I would not have thought two years ago that uh, NFL will come out and make an apology, unconditional apology. We will have such grassroots support. And I, I think 
the change happens from the grassroots, right? And the fact that, you know, when you look at the BLM protest, there are as many white folks protesting as there are black folks. I think that gives hope and optimism to the future, right? It's more and more people are recognizing that, yes, this is a problem. It's not a problem only for the black folks. This is a systemic problem. It's going to impact every single person, every single life if you don't do something about it. And the fact that people are showing up in large numbers protesting this with whites at the forefront, I think that's a really, really good uh, good outcome. Um, only thing that needs to happen is continue. We don't want, again, we have a short memory span as a country. And that's my worry that, you know, something else happens and we lose distraction, this force that has happened in the last few weeks or months and something else blows over and we lose that. No, but that's exactly right, right? I mean, the politicians are hoping that we have a short uh, memory span, right? And you can't blame people for having short memory spans. I mean, there's a lot going on right now. And even if under normal circumstances, like your daily life itself is, is... is a lot that takes away from you, right? Like even a, a, a family or a young family with two or three kids, um, they have their full-time jobs, you know, they have to just small menial things like cooking, cleaning, you know, taking care of regular chores. It just takes so much out of your day that your mental capacity at the end of the day to deal with something that is not necessarily uh, affecting you personally uh, is is asking for a lot from, from a person, right? Absolutely. So, so, you know, from that standpoint, it's, it will be difficult for for our nation as such to to pick up some of these uh, sort of fringe pieces, if you will, and and try to make sense of it and, and change the country as a whole. But again, you know, when as you said, grassroots movement starts, you know, a lot more people get involved in it. They understand the ramifications of not following through with with the the issue at hand. And more importantly, I feel like if you know, if people take this seriously and just go vote, it will definitely change the future prospects of our country, right? So right. It, that, that is the, the biggest lesson that comes out of is that, you know, as Obama very eloquently put in 2016 or 2015 before the election is don't boo vote, right? And I think that, that should resonate and echo through, through everybody's head uh, right now and make sure that November 3rd is a, the most important day this year on everybody's calendar and take time out, do whatever you have to just go vote, whatever you believe in, whether it's Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, go out and vote because your voice matters right now. And if you do that, you're, you're sending a clear message to Washington that, you know, you want the country steering in a, in a certain way um, and you have the right people hopefully to do the job for you as citizens, because understand that they are public servants at the end of the day. They cannot be more powerful than you. They are there to serve you as, as a whole and make sure that your lives are better as individuals or whatever. So, you know, that being said, I think one of the things that stands out the most in terms of policing, the first was clearly police unions, right? And how they have just grown in popularity and grown in power over, over the last few decades. And the second was the qualified immunity that has come in. I forget what year it was put into, in, into law, but the qualified immunity being the straw that is breaking the camel's back right now. One thing I do want to add is we have seen, even after a lot of these police you know, brutality issues that have come up, and you know, people protesting, not a lot of politicians have tried to fight qualified immunity. They are talking about reforms, they're talking about reimagining police departments, talking about you know, demilitarization to, to an extent. But no one has necessarily talked about qualified immunity, except for 
the libertarian candidate, Justin Amash, who just put forward a bill, uh, I believe was late last week, to remove qualified immunity from uh, police forces. What do you think about that? Yeah, so I, I think that's an interesting topic, right? And I think that you can spend an entire episode or uh, of a podcast just talking about the implications of it, right? And I definitely agree that that needs to be removed because, again, you know, this goes back to human nature, right? We are not born, nobody is born a bad person, right? It's, it's the circumstances, if you see that, you know, all the bad actions you have taken get washed away or somebody is always protecting you f- from any consequences, that's going to lead to more and more bad actions, right? It's, um, uh, it's definitely how the human nature and human incentives are built into to our society. Uh, so in talking about qualified immunity, uh, I know there is a case uh, with the Supreme Court and very likely with the five conservatives, four liberals feel that we'll at least have one or two votes on the conservative side who will be ready to strike it down. Because again, it falls against a lot of the conservative tenants in terms of having this overarching role or, or qualified immunity without any constitutional protection for that. And nowhere in the constitution talks about qualified immunity, there's been interpretations through the years, even in the courts, that it is granted through different uh, amendments of the constitution. But I I do see that that's one avenue where things might change. And you brought up like Justin Amash, uh, not knowing so much of his history, he has been making a lot of news lately with his opposition to the president. But a lot of the libertarian policies I do agree with uh, in principle, right? The fact that somebody is putting forward a bill to remove qualified immunity, obviously the devil is in the details. But as long as it's a strong bill, it goes at the heart of the problem, then it certainly would make sense to it. Right. And I, I think we as a nation definitely need to address qualified immunity because it gives the police an ultimate power and they cannot be checked, questioned or held accountable, right? I remember, I think you and I had had this conversation a bunch of times. I've talked to a few other people also, that the concept of the consent degree, decree was very heavily used, I think, during the Democratic presidential terms and not so much during the conservative presidential terms, the Republican presidential terms. More so, I think what is very evident now is during the current administration. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I would just want to, maybe talk a little bit about consent decree because I'm not very sure what it means. I've heard that term used many times. So maybe for our audience listeners, um, you know, just might help to just put some context around it. Sure. So my understanding of the consent decree is that basically removes sort of liability for companies or or government agencies if they're working in a certain field and and they, they, let's say they, they pollute rivers, right? So it removes the the case of liability against them. And in terms of, let's say, things like police departments, it removes any accountability or it removes them coming forward and admitting that they made a mistake to the general public or population. But on the flip side is that, you know, the federal government or the state governments, any agencies in power or even the court systems can go after these agencies or these individuals and penalize them in, in many different ways, maybe monetary, maybe, you know, cutting of budgets, maybe, you know, lots of different ways that they can go after them and sort of penalize them over a period of time, right? So the idea is that these agencies or these people know that they're doing something wrong. Uh, there, there's some checks and balances in place that, that, you know, keeps them, for the lack of a better term, on a short leash. Right. 
So it's like a form of a settlement, right? Where you're consenting right. to take exactly. some remedial actions right. in order to get away from more punitive actions, right? Directly right. from the federal government. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Right. So, so my understanding is that, you know, more democratic uh, administrations have used this tool against, I, I hate to use this word, but rogue agencies and rogue departments uh, over the last few decades. And the Republican uh, mantra has been that, you know, obviously they want less government, less government oversight, et cetera, have walked away from some of these and let, you know, the departments and, and you know, agencies do their own thing. The disturbing thing right now for me is like the current administration has basically rolled back most of them, except maybe one or two. What message does this send to the regular citizen, right? Yeah. And so there is a bigger philosophical question, right? Like when we are voting, you know, we are not looking at some of these direct actions and how it impacts, right? You know, it's always done in terms of philosophical questions. Do you want a big government? Do you want a lot of government oversight versus, you know, individual freedom and what have you? But these are the practical implications you're bringing forth. And again, this is not a political discussion. Uh, and you're absolutely right in terms of, you know, a lot of those consent decrees were removed and we have fewer and fewer of those cases in this administration than the previous one. That's one of the tools that the government, the Department of Justice has to enforce some of the, like you said, and again, I don't like the term myself, but for a lack of better term, rogue agencies to take remedial action, right, and go through that process so they fix DOJ has a right to disband them. So small government in concept theory is good, but we also need to look at what are the practical implementations of, of that mindset and philosophy, right? And that's a, that's a very valid point. And I mean, in, in this case, I have no ambivalent feelings about it. I think the DOJ needs to get more involved. The DOJ needs to be even stronger than we are right now or even when they were the uh, Obama administration to go after rogue agencies. So people have confidence that the bad apples and the bad agencies are dealt with appropriately. So I think that that's just the baseline, if you will, as a starting point, more than anything else. Right. And, and, and I think they, the flip side of that coin is I think there's a lot of, you know, states, local governments, etc., that are going the route of disbanding their police departments and re-engineering these institutions from the ground up. One of the examples that I was told recently is I think there's a city in New Jersey, I forget, maybe it's Camden, that did this eight, nine, ten years ago. They disbanded their whole police department because it was just corrupt down to the core. And if the officers wanted to still work in that department, they had to reapply. There were some tests that they had to go through or had to take. And I think what happened there was this whole new department that was structured was so effective that the crime has gone down, you know, people are actually interacting with the police department or whatever it's called now. And it's just become a more pleasant place to live in. The point that I'm trying to make is adding to, you know, the example that I just quoted, um, Minneapolis allegedly has come out after what happened to George Floyd, where the council is moving to disband the police department. I have heard pros and cons of going down this path and maybe in a microcosm like a place like Camden, which is a small city it might work but is this a concept that would be efficient more universally throughout the country or should do you think that you know from a conservative approach that the states and local agencies should to reevaluate in their own districts and figure out if this is something that will really benefit them or uh, the federal government needs to kind of step in and say okay this is how we are going to do this yeah, moving 
forward. Yeah, and it, it's a little bit hypocritical also of specifically of this administration, right? When they talk about small governments and also channeling the powers to the local and the state government and not having federal government play such a big role. But every time somebody talks about police reforms, uh, defunding the police or reorganizing the police, uh, I invariably see the current administration make a lot of fuss about it. So I definitely feel it's hypocritical, but but let's talk a little bit about, you know, what it really means, right? because there's been so much misinformation. And I think part of it is on purpose with police unions being such a powerful player. It's not in their interest when people talk about defunding the police or reorganizing the police. So let's talk a little bit about what it really means, right? To me, when people talk about defunding the police, it really means that channeling the priorities through different means, right? It's not like, okay, I, we won't have police to investigate the crimes that are happening, but police over the years have taken on more and more and more responsibilities that should not necessarily be part of the policing system or the policing department, right? And Yeah, and I think, think we've definitely yeah. seen that, right? So one of the examples that I didn't quote earlier is where there's a patient who is who has some mental disability, who for whatever reason was seen out walking in the street he didn't know what was going on around him, right? And, and, and the police suddenly come in, they try to stop him. This person doesn't respond in a normal fashion. And they feel that this guy is either high on drugs or, or is, is probably packing some weapon or something like that. And, and they use excessive force against this individual when all this person is, is has mental disabilities and cannot function as a regular normal human being. So they have been now given additional responsibilities over fighting crime to do all of these other fringe jobs as well, where they're clearly not qualified to do that. And I would like to add another point is like, I was watching some show recently where they had quoted a, a police officer from the, the Midwest uh, who was high up in the, the chain. And he was actually a, someone who would, who would train, has done training videos, whatever, and trained new personnel that were coming up on the police force. I think this guy was ex-military and he basically used to train, you know, fighters who would go in into the field, fight wars and train them tactically to to basically go and kill people. And the thing that came out and stood out the most to me is this person was caught in, I think it was in a class that he was taking. He basically said that, you know, after this class or after this training is done, you are going to be killers. If you cannot handle killing another human being, you should not be here. You're going to be deemed as killers. You're going to act as killers. And that's what you need to do. So this whole idea that, you know, this has become sort of a terrorism task force rather than a police force is very scary, right? So how do we as a nation compartmentalize what the police force is actually supposed to be used for rather than calling them for every small thing that happens in in your neighborhood? Yeah, so it starts with how we prioritize certain things over other, right? And there there have been multiple, multiple studies. And a good example is, you know, NYPD spends $6 billion. Uh, Even though NYPD is one of the largest police departments, if not the largest, $6 billion on policing and and the outcomes have not been that great, right? So again, you know, that same funding can be channeled to community-based organizations that support uh, in terms of drug reforms, uh, education around a lot of these topics, uh, you know, helping form neighborhood watch groups to help with petty crimes, if you will. Not everything needs to have a police person involved. And uh, and I think that's what we, where we are both going towards, right? And again, we don't want our listeners and, you know, even us to get into this 
slogans about or what it really means when somebody says defund the police nobody is really talking about you know not having police do the policing the core of the policing activities right we we are not getting yeah. uh, rogue people or <laughs> uh, just crimes to be in the neighborhood it's just how we channel the resources how we scope the policing to be what it needs to be and in line with you know what works and beautiful thing about america is the whole state local and the federal system where you know it, it's in many ways a laboratory right uh, where you can try out different ideas a uh, lot of local agencies even state agencies have been successful implementing certain uh, ways of policing that can be replicated across the country so a lot of those examples that we have even within the country we don't even have to go look outside the country that that can be leveraged uh, some of the best practices that can be leveraged in you know what the role of policing should be and should not be no i completely get that right and i, I think it's going to be very important for us as a nation to come together and realize that you know not everything is requires a tactical military response exactly um, and as much as i hate to say it i think the police departments need to learn or relearn empathy as a very apt and strong fighting tool against crime and you know petty crime right because a lot of times like as you said petty crime in small or or low income neighborhoods is just people trying to feed themselves and you know it's it's not as bad as it sounds and it's not something that i would ever advocate anyone to do but these people are really suffering how do you help them right how do you make sure that they feel loved and welcomed and feel like they're a part of the institution and part of society and part of the greater values that America has always prided itself on um i think we are losing that plot the more we dive into this you know militarization of everything that we do right everything is is, is turning out to be such a testosterone infused action that it just leaves a very bitter taste in in people that are not even directly affected by it but are watching it in front of a television or from the sidelines right how do we yeah. make sure that the police departments adhere to just basic humanity i think that's the most relevant question of of this year yeah. and you know to to come back to that same point is forget the militarization for a minute a lot of these cops that we've seen as the bad apples most of them have had something in their past which is on their record which should automatically negate them from even applying to positions of power like this. So, you know, obviously when George Floyd was murdered, officer Shovin or Shavin, I I I don't know how to pronounce his name. He had some things on his record. 18 and, other complaints prior exactly. to Exactly. Yep. And and still he was allowed to be an officer. Why was he allowed to be a part of the force? Why was he not put on probation or suspended or put into some training program that would have helped be a better officer? and if this person doesn't have the aptitude to do what is required why was he still on the force i mean he, there's so many other jobs that people can do right? yes and you know, i think that you know you brought up a very good point kunal and i i think we've talked about this few times right the core of this is also the police unions i remember seeing a video clip of the minneapolis police chief part of trump's rally advocating that they're finally free from the shackles and from court and court lack of support that they had from the prior administration right and that's the root of the problem it's the agencies the police unions keep protecting the bad apples and there is significant amount of data there right and e- even as a democrat or a republican we have seen that the police union uh, it's such a big lobby that even the democrats would not touch that if the republicans will not do anything to solve the bad uh, police unions from the hold that they have on uh, on the politicians right 
and you see this over and over again where a lot of the complaints either don't get addressed goes to arbitration they have very specific clauses in their union contracts that helps whitewash if you will for lack of a better term a lot of this uh, complaints that have been filed against the police very few get addressed so an approach which takes any kind of complaints uh, for a local police department state police department away from the union contract to be dealt with in a more open holistic way uh, maybe either through an independent agency that would be a big step and if we can get in that direction i think that would go a long way to weed out a lot of the bad apples because what you see is you know you have couple of bad apples in the agency but then the so called good apples don't take any action against them because they are always afraid that the unions will uh, punish the good apples if they don't protect the bad ones right so getting that whole process away from the unions and into the hands of a more fact based neutral independent agency or, or even a community based folks who can review those complaints i think that will be a, in my mind a big big step to get this in the right direction no i completely agree um but that being said i think the the last point that i actually wanted to bring up and this is the very critical point so far until these protests broke out in 2020 i mean obviously we've seen coverage of protests over the last few years when you know things happened uh, protests lasted a few days and they, they petered out right how does media propagate something like this like we we've seen that they 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 do a decent job when it's when it's relevant but as you said like people have short term memories there's so much other stuff to cover should media or even parts of media maybe new avenues in media come up that basically you know never let this die this flame that has has started it should never be allowed to get extinguished how does media or how can we control media so that you know this is one of the issues that is front and center and never goes away until it is resolved yeah that's a very valid point kunal and I think media plays a very significant role um and good or bad it's always left to people's subjective judgment but one of the things i see you know you have pretty much every channel has some kind of a cop show you know there's cops the cops of miami whatever right and pretty much every show talks about you know how good a job the cop is doing and there are they will come up with some bizarre scenarios where the cop has to break the law um, you know to protect the citizen right so they've been shown as somebody so good and a force of good that they are okay breaking the law because it's in everyone's society interest, right yeah. yeah but is that really the case i mean what are we really advocating as a society is, is that oh yes you don't have to fill out this form that's not really the crux of the problem right and that that's where i think the media also can play a more positive role in showing some of the problems and i know there is no benefit maybe from an advertisement standpoint and you know from an insertion standpoint but that's an obviously a factor i think that plays into people's mind and how they view cops and how they are they getting a very glorified picture of you know what the cops do or are they getting a real picture so far i don't see that being a real picture of you know obviously there are good cops obviously majority of the cops are you know there to help and support but also just trying to focus on how they break the law to help people those things seem like a problem to me so that's one part of it and obviously you brought up on the other part how do we not let this die and that's again the grassroots movements are tough to extinguish so i think that's to me is a big positive sign right even from 2 years ago now we have a population that is energized they see that it's it's wrong we have support of a lot of the the majority of the population which has been a big change 
And even if you look at the history of Martin Luther King and the movement around that time for independence and the removal of segregation, it's when the Northern whites joined those movements that started to make a real impact. And again, not to take anything away from the black leaders and people who gave their lives for those movements, it's when you have start building that support and people start seeing that, yes, this is for the benefit of the society, that's when we'll see real change. And I think that's where we are at that inflection point now. No, I completely get that, right? But again, to add to what you said, I think it it just boils down to capitalism. Talking about media, just going back to that topic, the reason they do what they do is, again, to get more ratings, to get more people to watch stuff. There has to be a demarcation between what is right and what is right for money. And until we as a society come to terms with, you know, money doesn't always mean that it's right or in good favor with what needs to happen, we are never going to progress as a more equitable society or egalitarian society. And we're always going to see people who are less fortunate suffer because people in power don't want to lose that power. So I just want to leave today's episode. I think we're almost out of time, but I want to leave this episode with that thought. I hope that listeners uh, chime in, maybe send us your feedback on how we as a society can move forward from what we are seeing today and divorce ourselves from everything that is monetarily related. So again, with that, I want to end today's show. Thank you again, everybody, for tuning in. Please follow us on Instagram at theawarenessproject.us. And again, send us your feedback, your thoughts, any additional information that you would like to give us at info at theawarenessproject.us. We also have a website, www.theawarenessproject.us, which has a lot of information plus all our episodes on it. And again, thank you for tuning in. Hope you have a great rest of the day. Thanks. Thanks. Have a good one. Yeah. And keep the flame burning. Bye.